0: Welcome to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. Every week, I sit down for a 30-minute conversation. Sometimes we go over um, with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious, honey. Well, this week, I've got a very dear friend, someone who I look up to a lot, someone who has changed my life for the better, the creator of Queer Eye, David Collins. Oh, yeah, hey. Welcome to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. I'm so excited for this episode. We have a very major guest. I'm very excited to introduce you all to Mr. David Collins, who is, I don't know if you remember this, but if you watch uh, Queer Eye, if you're a fan of it, you would see right after the cute little opening, right before it comes in the episode, it says, created by honey, and then it says... David Collins. (laughs) So you're literally the creator of Queer Eye. I am. So tell us, what happened? You were minding your own business one day, (laughs) because Queer Eye, the Queer Eye Numero Uno was 2003 to 2007. Correct, yeah. And so you were minding your own business in... Boston you're in Boston I was in Beantown we yeah. love Boston where I
1: lived with my husband partner at the time Michael Williams who we also know and love as executive producer and uh, so
0: he's an executive producer on queer, queer eye, eye as well yeah
1: and my uh, business partner on uh, at Scout Productions and also happens to be the papa to my daddy for Ella and Olive,
0: our 10-year-old twin daughters. So that is a gorgeous mouthful that you just said. So let's just break it down. So you're in Boston in like 19... 19- uh,
1: yeah, Well, I moved to Boston in 1994 and we started Scout Productions.
0: Oh, you did when you moved to
1: Boston? Yeah, oh, I yeah, didn't realize yeah, this. Yeah. So you guys started Scout in Boston. Exactly. Well, okay. So Michael came to Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, for Little Man Tate, where I was Jodie Foster's
0: assistant yeah yeah, 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 on Little Man Tate. Okay, I've heard this story. Wait, actually, oh. tell the people this story. <laughs>
1: tell the story. So you're
0: in Ohio, <laughs> and you're, like, in your... Like, no, I was 21. You're, like, in your 20s, yeah, in Ohio. just graduated college. And and you saw, like, on the paper that there was a movie that they were shooting in Ohio, and they needed, like, set assistance or it, something. It's even better than that. So I graduated from Ohio
1: University. Go go go, Bobcats. Yeah. Uh, came back to Cincinnati. It was one of those weird kind of... Like in between times, like what am I going to do? I wanted to be an editor, wasn't sure. But the local Cincinnati film office said, "Hey, we're, we're looking for interns." So I went to go intern at the local Cincinnati film office, and I happened my first day. This is about luck and timing in life, which you we all know a lot about, right? I walked in, the film commissioner's like, do you have a car? Get get to the airport. Get to the airport now. And I'm like, "Uh, okay. I hop in my like 1985 Toyota Corolla. The floor is rusted out. There's, you know, the barely a back seat. And she tells me, you're going to pick up Jodie Foster and Peggy Reisky." Don't talk to them. Just put them in the car and take them to the hotel.
0: And you're like in my 85 Corolla. My like, oh 85 my God. Corolla, I throw them
1: into the back of it, pick them up. And what I will tell you, Jonathan, truly is that that moment really changed my life. Um, I ended up connecting with Jody and Peggy in the car. Uh, when I started to drop them off, at the, uh, Jody turned around, looked at me, she said, All right, I don't know, be here around seven tomorrow. I was like, Wow. Well, I, 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 I. So I showed up at 7 a.m. the next morning dressed in a three-piece suit and a Aww. briefcase because I thought, okay, I got a job. So I put a suit on and a briefcase, and they laughed my ass off. They laughed at me so hard. But Jody, But uh, you're being
0: a professional. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I was like, trying to be a little professional. Yeah. yeah. And so what
1: did you end up doing? You were like her – I ended up becoming uh, – a, a great end of the story is that she looked at me and she said, you know what, David? You don't have to be a PA. Everyone thinks they want to go to the set and be a production assistant. She goes, if you want to stand around and look at orange cones all day, great. Or you could sit at the desk outside my office and watch the movie go across my desk Uh and learn how to to truly do it. And I ended up becoming the special projects coordinator uh, on my very first feature. So Jody gave me the title, special projects coordinator, and off we went. Along the way, though, this handsome Italian guy named Michael – uh, Williams uh, came in and uh, I had just come out of a breakup and it was but wait 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 moment. I'm so sorry to interrupt but I have yeah, to ask no, go. so like
0: but so she's in Ohio to like shoot a movie her directorial debut little so Man she was Tate. directing a and yeah. a Little Man Tate a little bit and so and you basically if she needed to like just have, like, you know, something for, like, one of the writers or something for one of, like, the stars. Like, just needed what to get something do? done. Exactly. And you, yeah. you grew up there, so you knew, like, the lay of the land. And, exactly. And so then from that, you had, like, a good reference and you had this, like, this inside kind of understanding of like, how to do, like, a major. Because Jodie Foster was not – she was a major person in 90-whatever. In yeah. Huge. Um Wow! Yeah. So then you're minding your own business there when Michael Williams when Michael Williams who is still a tall drink of water, honey. But in <laughs> but at night I've seen pictures, honey, and that was yeah. I mean, just run me over with your car. That he was like a six foot one, curly haired, but like it wasn't long enough to be curly. But we knew that it was curly because like exactly. Uh, wow, exactly. You guys went out to see a picture, but wow, yeah. But so anyway, so did you guys meet in Ohio? We
1: met in Ohio. Yeah, we and met then, in Ohio. We had our our first few dates there, and the movie came to an end, and he went back to Boston. Did he work on the movie, too? Yeah, he, he was the location manager. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Peggy Reisky, the the producer, hired him from New York, brought him in, and uh, he was the location manager. And uh, he went back to Boston, and he started sending flowers and little love things oh. here and there. And then uh, the funny part is, uh, it, it was Thanksgiving time. And he's like, well, why don't you come out for Thanksgiving and, you know, hang out? And I did, and I never left. Oh, my God. That's cute. Yeah. Uh, so that's where you guys started Scout. And we started Scout, yeah, in the upstairs of our uh, – the second bedroom in the upstairs of our house. In, in West End, West Roxbury, Massachusetts. Ah, uh, which –
0: is that like an outskirt it's of Boston? It's a little, little
1: sub, sub, suburb of uh, yeah, yeah, Boston. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: you guys are there, and then it's, it's 99? Uh, at this point, uh, Scout started
1: in 94, uh, and Flash – you want to get to the Yeah, I am I'm,
0: I'm just gently guiding you to that one story that I love.
1: There. Well, real quick, the company did well. We we kind of became the production service company for all LA and New York. So we would we would take care of all the big productions that came in and out of Boston. Boston. Yeah, we became a big fish in a little pond, which was really nice. But Boston's
0: not like a little pond. No, but in the in the scheme of it, but I it feel was, like in filmmaking, I'm sure because it like it has like such like cool architecture and like it's like so brick oh and cool, I bet it gets used a lot. All the time. People come for the architecture. Michael did Spencer
1: for Hire, Mermaids, all kinds of great projects. And really
0: what you're learning there is like – because, I mean, I doing hair for 13 years, like I never really knew – I mean, I did a lot of actor's hair. I've done a lot of director's hair. I've lear- I've learned a lot about a lot of different professions from doing people's hair over sure. the years. But I didn't really understand like – what is, like, I remember in Gay of Thrones, like, the third episode we ever did, and walking into this back room with Aaron, and whoever had been producing it, like, just didn't show up, like, our third day, and she was like, I'm not a producer, like, I don't know what to do, and I was like, well, what is, I was like, can I help, I don't, and she was like, no, like, you're, uh, no, like, and I was, and, 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 like, I feel like I've basically spent the last, you know, six years learning like what does a producer do like i've learned it on the job like in real time but really you guys are like balancing budgets you're putting out fires you're just yeah. making things happen whatever needs to happen for this production you're producing it you got it so organized you organized chaos so you are learning the most at this point exactly and that that was you know i was young i was
1: able to do a lot of really cool productions, and I produced my first feature at 26 with Michael uh, at the company. We started, uh, our film was called Six Ways to Sunday, with Debbie Harry, yeah. Adrian Brody, uh, uh, Norman Reedus. Yeah. This Norman Reedus yes. is... Uh, from, from Walking Dead. From Walking Dead, yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, casting really was in my blood back then, because we really put together that cast. Uh, Adam Bernstein, who's a very well-known uh, TV director, it was his directorial debut.
0: I Actually, I have a question before this. I didn't even know I was going to ask. When did you know in Ohio? Because you were born and raised in Cleese, Cincinnati, Cincinnati, Ohio. So, like, did you know, like, after college that you were like, oh, I think I do want to do filmmaking, or were you just like, I guess I'll go to this film and, or I'll guess I'll go to this place. Well, like, OU, where I went
1: to college, was really well known for film and TV. Uh, they had one of the top. Uh, but King before Con. then, did you know, like, when you were in high school, like, no, did you? You know what? I think you and I. Have talked- I wanted to be a veterinarian, mm-hmm. um, and my it was my junior counselor. Uh, uh, counselor, who sat me down, and I remember sh- looking at me, and she said, "Honey, I so know you want to be a veterinarian, but I have th- I have idea that's not going to be your path." <laughs> and I was like, "What?" And she said, "I think you should t- think about you know doing something where you talk and you speak and you're helping you know make something happen." I was like, right, "What do you mean?" And it was through that moment that I realized, all right, maybe I'm not going to go to vet school because I thought I was going to go to Ohio State and become a farm vet. I mm. wanted to do like cows and sheep, Ugh. right? Like that that was really what I thought most of my life.
0: Because you came from like Ohio. You're like a corn. I, I was in
1: FFA. Do you know that? Future Farmers of oh, America. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, ours was called 4-H Club. Well, we had FFA and I was the p- uh, public speaker for FFA. I believe in the future of farming with a faith born not of words, but of deeds. Oh, my Achievements God. Want. Yeah, No, no. I did the whole thing. I I did soil judging. Uh,
0: I dug down a deep. And did digits. you guys have to do like, did you have to be like, Jesus, we just want to invite you into this soil judging so that you can <laughs> exactly. just bless it for all the people. it all happened. Oh, my God. It was, it
1: was, but, you know, that's how you learn, right, what you want to do versus what you don't want
0: to do. You're like, yeah, no, I think soil judging's could be left to FFA. You know, because the more I interview people, the more I get to know people, and even like my path is, I feel like I never would have ever, ever thought like – three, five, seven years ago, or even being a fan of Queer Eye because I was a huge fan of the first Queer Eye that I definitely just wanted to be a hairdresser. Like, I definitely just wanted to, like, be behind the chair and, like, you know, not have to have my mom help me with my rent and just be, like, a self-sufficient, like, non-self-harming adult. Like, that was my goal. But I've... Kept chasing down like the next thing that I was passionate about and learning about, and it got me to here. But I feel like that kind of happened with you as well. Like you didn't know that you wanted to be a producer yeah. or a director or no. like or own a production company. You just kept doing like the next job in front of you yeah. and chasing down what you're passionate Taking about. The next.
1: next indicated step, right? Which
0: is really interesting because yeah. like I think if you try to hold on to the outcome too much, like you're, I mean, maybe you are like for figure skaters because like you can't be Mariah Nagasu <laughs> and so not want to. You know what I mean? Like if you want to learn a triple axel, you got to focus you on that. Do it. But yeah. I feel like just becoming like an adult or just like. Growing up in the world, it's like, it's hard to hold on, really, like, have such an expectation of where you're going to be.
1: Yeah, I agree. Because
0: it sets you up for, like... I don't know. It's like good to be open.
1: It is. And with my kids, I, I say that to them all the time. I'm like, you think you want to do this right now, but just know it's going to change a million
0: times. But so you and Michael are just like in young gay love running young around Boston. Love. It's cold. It's four seasons. You're loving it. You're making lots of movies. You're like just, you know, really like in your career, like scouts going good. And it's just you two at this point. Uh, and, a, and a partner named Dorothy Offiero.
1: Cute. Yeah. yeah she's real Italian. Yeah. So
0: you guys are like, you guys, so you find yourself at a, at a cocktail party. Or a party. Well, are you talking about how queer I feel? Yes. Well, 9-11 happened. Oh. Mm. So 9-11 happened in Boston. It happened for in all New York. Oh, yeah. Right? Well, it happened in New York. Yeah. It wasn't in Boston, but, but you were in Boston when it happened. in
1: Boston dramatically. Boston's production world came to a halt. Mm. No one wanted to come to Boston and fly into – because, you know, the plane left from Boston. Oh. And, and it Oh, it, did it? It really affected the, the work –
0: Oh, Boston. I guess I didn't realize that one of the planes took yeah. off from Boston. Took off from Boston, yeah. Oh, and so that
1: did really affect the- It affected the East Coast and the work coming in. And we went from kind of rocking and rolling to nowhere. Uh-huh. And it got scary. And, you know, uh, if, if necessity is the mother of invention, uh, that's what happened. Um, I, we, had, we had been uh, kind of doing a million different things. And all of a sudden, it's like- oh, We couldn't pay the bills, didn't didn't have, you know, anything, quite frankly. And I didn't
0: know that part of the story either, David. Yeah.
1: It's crazy. You left that out of casting when you told the story (laughs) of how queer I started. Well, it was a fun part of this is that um, I opened up my desk, and there was one of those American Express uh, checkbooks that they send you in the mail that, like, says basically, sure, write yourself a check for $5,000. It's only 40% interest. Oh, God. And it only has to be paid back in 30 days. Oh. But please, write a so check. So it's really
0: like a $9,500, $5,000
1: or something. I wrote, right. I wrote a check for $5,000. True story. Gave it to a kid in my office who was an E trader, and I said, "You need to turn this into ten thousand dollars as fast as you can." And I let him go, and I ran and closed my eyes and said a million prayers. And did he? He turned it into eight thousand dollars, and almost I, ten. Almost ten. And with that, I built the Queer Eye
0: uh, pitch book. Which- Shut up! Oh, uh, swear. So you're so okay. So you're at the. So that all happened. So prior to that, um, uh,
1: it was a Sunday afternoon, and it was the Art Walk in in uh, South End of Boston, and it was myself, Michael Williams, and our best friends Peter and Rich, another couple of the four of us, out to have a little wine and a little cheese, Sunday fun day, a little Sunday fun day, little wine, little cheese, and look at art in in the South End, which is the gay area of Boston, and. Uh, we went up the stairs into this upper uh, uh, art gallery, and it was pretty full. There was a lot of people there. And we walked in. We're kind of looking at the art. And all of a sudden, one of those weird moments happened where there was this, like, weird quiet came over the room. You could just feel it stop because there was a woman Berating her husband And I mean berating Like Look at you You're a mess Why can't you dress like this Look at this Ah, Look at them And she points across the room Why can't you dress And look like them And she's pointing to Three gay guys Who are dressed to the nines Standing up With their glasses of champagne Looking fabulous Right And they were And as she says it And the room's gone quiet The guys walk toward her and they walk towards him. And they push her aside, and they say, whoa, 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 lady, whoa. And they surround him, and they look at him like, oh, my God, no, look at you. And they tossed his hair a little bit and tucked his shirt in. They gave him a pre-French tuck. They gave him a pre-French tuck and adjusted his jacket a little bit. They said, no. They said, you know what? You look great. And they turned to the wife, and they're like, look, you just got to give him some confidence. You got to help him here. Don't tear him down. Let's build him up. And I sat there, stood there with, with Michael and my posse and watched this. And as it happened, and this is, um, this is where, you know, I, I take credit and I don't. I turned to Michael and I said, did you see that? That was like the queer eye for the straight guy. And as it came out of my mouth, I had a real epiphionic, true moment where I knew the entire show. I saw it from beginning to end. I understood because I had been reading Esquire magazine like a crazy man. And they broke their magazine up into fashion, grooming, interior design, culture, food, and wine. Ah. And so I took those five verticals and built the show from it. But Michael, to this day, he turned to our best friends and teary-eyed, looked at them and said, I promise you, one year from now something's going to come out of this. Something that David just said is going to come out of this. And they all laughed. <laughs> and and I looked at him, and I was like, queer eye for the straight guy. And I went home with michael and we laid out this idea of the five verticals fashion grooming interior design culture one and that five gay superheroes we're going to swoop in and save the day by one 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 guy at a time oh. and and that's that's truly how the moment happened
0: wow wow wow! we're gonna take a really quick break we'll be right back with more at david Kahn's creator of queer Eye, right after the break Welcome back to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. What a place to leave off. What a story. <laughs> so you guys have this idea. Yeah. You go home and you kind of pl- you plot it out. Plot it out. I've got chills. Just FYI, like like that. Such a story. <laughs> so then you had the five grand check, and you're like, yes, How am I gonna make? By this? the way, I have not a penny or pocket. Because it's, yeah, it's not going. Because it's not going. Because you had win well, but then like it's like it a like the whole no thing. money, yeah.
1: and I'm like. and By the way. I had no idea how to make TV. We were making feature films. Right. We had come from the the kind of the fun indie feature world that was happening in New York and the East Coast at the time. Um, and and so for us, feature films was our world. How you make TV, let alone reality TV, unscripted. Which was TV, very like early, early, early.
0: There was early like days. real world and road rules, and there exactly. was like the format. Survivor, maybe with Survivor um, on you. Survivor had probably seen it. Americans except model started in 03. Yes. It's, I remember very clearly. It did cuz Adrian Curry won in 03. Right, right, right. But we didn't
1: know really, you know, what we were doing. But we had started working with Errol Morris at that time. Errol was this brilliant documentarian. And so we had started to learn a lot about how to tell documentary stories, right, and how a doc's put together. So that translated for us. But um, when we were working with him, I had sold our first TV series called First Person, Errol Morris's First Person, to a woman named Frances Barrick at Bravo. Ah. And she ran IFC, Trio, and Bravo. And those were all teeny, teeny little... Networks on a on a on a big cable that are called Rainbow Media. Rainbow Media owned them. And so I had sold first person to her, and that was the only person I knew in TV. So we put together the the queer eye book and which is a great package.
0: I've had the good fortune of seeing it in real life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The book. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You see. Yes. It. It's hysterical, right? Like yeah, but Michael was in it. But it's a proper treatment. Like it's like a treatment before there was like digital. Cause like I've made treatments like in like, like since like yeah. Game of Thrones and stuff, but like I feel like that was like a treatment before. Where, like you did, like you didn't, you wouldn't have emailed a treatment then. Like you would have had to print it out. It was like MapQuest. Is. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> it was like MapQuest. I, but it looked, but it was a good treatment. It would look it really. We mimicked Esquire magazine because um, I was a huge fan of Esquire. I felt like the. That's how I got my. How I stayed in touch at yeah. the time was through Esquire. Yeah, and I felt like it was kind of the the touch point of cool. I wonder if they're
0: gonna come for like a seven percent commission on your
1: ass after this episode. <laughs> they're
0: like you always said no. <laughs>
1: um, but it was it was and what it did. I actually became. Kind of in a flash forward, known for that book. Um, this is when they used to say people used to buy pitches off of paper. That, by the way, uh, listeners, is
0: no longer the case. People do not buy it's off like, of paper. Yeah, it's like off
1: of. You got to do a sizzle reel yeah. and
0: paper and a deck and so a th- format. I thought like if you had a really good, I feel like if you had like a really good treatment and if you were like Tiffany Haddish or something with a really good treatment, you could get it from you the people. You could do it, but
1: but and, probably not. And even you know, I can get away with it sometimes because of of obviously the success of Queer Eye. But I I feel like nowadays you put together the sizzle because the buyers need it. They're, so if you guys nervous. don't know what a sizzle
0: is, like a treatment's like when you want to sell, like you have an idea, a deck. She's like a deck. A so P- that's what they call it, to a deck. Yeah, it's a deck.
1: Yeah, which you know people put together PDF or, or put together uh, PowerPoint presentations. It's, it's kind of like a that. glossier PowerPoint presentation. And
0: then give the people the dic- the dictionary definition of a sizzle.
1: A sizzle. It's kind of like a quick trailer for a concept. It's shorter than a normal movie trailer. It gives you. a Taste a feel for me. Trailers need to create an emotion and a and a and a
0: vibe for you that gives you you know it's what it looks smells and tastes like. Yeah, the queer eye trailers like I was I'm like I don't know if you know this but I'm like I'm there like I'm I'm in I'm I see the like I'm there when the trailers are like I'm yeah. there and they always make me fucking cry and I was there. <laughs> <laughs> like the power of filmmaking is so major. It's unbelievable, isn't it? It can make you feel so many things. Yeah. So, but anyway, you do the you do the book, we do you the get book, the eight grand, the boy almost gets the ten.
1: Yes. And then you call the the, the I call Frances He is now, by the way, still an amazing major. friend and, and runs all of NBC Universal's cable outlets. Wow. Right? All of the – So she's major. Well, she's major. Yes. And um and I go to Fran and I sit down with her and I was like, so I got this idea. Queer eye for the straight guy. And there's just kind of dead silence, you know, that that look in the eye like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, uh uh-huh. yeah. Isn't that lovely? I have no idea what he's talking yeah. about. got get it. Okay. Yeah. And it was really true her her early faith and an idea that I don't really know what he's saying or what this is. But she said yes? But she said yes. From that meeting. And well, here's what she said. She said, let's do a pilot. So we shot the Queer Eye pilot. And that was shot in Boston. And uh, we cast with them, and that was the original casting, but we uh, – uh, this – what year? No, was there – there were six – well, there was a late Muddy Penny. We had uh, a female oh. that was kind of the Charlie uh, – uh, to the Charlie's Angels oh. of it all, in the original. Uh, she got – Pushed away. That was
0: uh, uh, Rob Eric, who is one of our partners here. Do you know the Rob Eric audition? Yeah. Yeah. So, 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 okay. So Scout was the production company yep. that still is. And yep. you had made, and, and so, and that was you and Michael. And then that one Italian lady. <laughs>
1: Dorothy Alfiero. Who yeah. we yeah.
0: love her. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so then when you guys, you got the pitch and she's like, we'll do a pilot. Rob Eric, and this is when he enters the picture. Yeah, exactly. He does an audition and you're like, not quite the right fit. However, we love working with you. And then he becomes like a big head honcho. Well, EP he was it. Carson Kressley's roommate.
1: Oh. Did you know that? No, I don't think. Yeah, he and Carson lived together, and it was actually Rob who found out about the auditions and told Carson, and they both came to the auditions, and Rob at that point, I don't know if you then, owned a, fa- uh, a, a skincare line. He oh, yeah, cre- yeah, yeah, yeah. He had created a skincare line and was selling at Barney's and all over the place, and he was all cocky. He's like, oh, I got this. He felt for sure he had it. He's like, I got this. And Carson comes lugging a, a Louis Vuitton steamer in, into his his audition, truly a Louis Vuitton steamer, and it's like starts dressing everyone in the room. Oh, he's and like putting honey, it all together. No, like, he has it. You're like, girl, sit. You're it. You're yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but. You know what? Rob Rob is the true epitome of a Renaissance man. He, um, he thinks
0: about everything. He's very, I love working with him. On I set. do too. And then, do so, too. so basically, he enters the picture then. And now, Rob is, he's a very big head honcho at, at Scout, Scout. Productions. Oh, he's, oh he's, he's
1: our chief creative officer at Scout now. But what he, what he did, and people don't know this, Rob uh, wrote, built, and created the original theme song. Uh, Which was number right. one in like 87 countries. It was. And he he won a a, 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 t- a Grammy for it in Canada. Oh, my God.
0: I always forget that he won a Grammy yeah, in Canada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Canadian Grammy. Who beat him for the American one. If, if it wasn't Hillary Clinton, like, I'm going to be so mad. But that probably wasn't like the same. <laughs> no, she won for like spoken word or something. Oh, maybe she did. No, she had like, she totally. It, I, I, digress, <laughs> I digress. But so that's when he came into it. Yeah. And you made the pilot. And made the pilot.
1: And while making the pilot, um, Bravo got bought mm. by NBC Universal. And everything came to a screeching halt. And we got the phone call that was like, ah, yeah, thanks so much. It was great. But we're not going to do anything with the pilot. But we're not going to do anything. You know, we're getting bought. And Ew. Who knows what's going to happen. And an entire year, went by Jonathan true story so a year happened to the date to when Michael Williams back when I created Turned Off and said you just wait one year from now and he was right one year from now we had created this beautiful pilot and in that pilot we had cast Carson and Ted and Tom and uh Kyan and there was a, another uh, couple of folks in there prior to Jay coming on board. And Jay came on board when the series got picked up. But the series didn't get picked up for a full year. After you made the pilot. After we made the pilot.
0: And you guys were just kind of doing other th- – We were you...
1: doing other things. Actually, we were uh, uh, making uh, the documentary The Fog of War with Errol oh, cool. and, Uh Mr. Death, which was uh, another amazing – crazy documentary about holocaust denial insane mm. that we we're making um with errol that's happening and uh jeff gaspin became president of of nbc and when he brought all of the uh cable companies under his umbrella she, fran Francis, was like fran's like we did this thing called query for this Drake guy and he did the same thing he's like i don't know what it
0: is but Go ahead, well, give it a shot. I think there's an interesting lesson here, too, that I've never really talked to you about. That it's, I feel like the universe is like telling me to talk about it right now. So, when you pitched it originally to Fran and you felt like she wasn't really reacting to it. Yeah. Like, so you're in the room with her and you have the treatment book. And so, but at the end of that meeting, she said, let's do a pilot. Yeah. But the whole time that you pitched it, you were feeling like, unsure I was unsure yeah because I I think back then it was pretty radical you know but what did you learn from that in a wider lesson that's not queer eye specific but just like sometimes when I'm trying to like maybe not pitch a show but just pitch someone on an idea sometimes I'll like talk through my discomfort and not let them think or respond Mm -hmm. you know yeah and I feel like you must have known when to shut up and let her say like huh Okay, let's do it. Yeah, I I think- Or did you talk through the whole thing? How did that go?
1: Well, I think if, if, you know, it's been a long time, but I do remember, I'm a passionate guy. I'm an enthusiastic guy. And I think my passion came through. I had worked so hard on this and was so excited for, by the way, I had no idea what the show ultimately would do, right? I really didn't realize- the the gift that is the show. Um but I did know that it was a really cool unique idea. It was something that hadn't been done and I I think my passion sells a lot of things. I think that's it's a big part of who I am. Yeah. Is that if I believe in it and I love it and I want it to happen, I don't stop, you know. Well, I love push. that. Yeah. But I
0: mean to me like the the first I, I mean the first queer I was so important like I mean in 2000 and 2000, 2001, 2002, I graduated high school in 2004, but, like, that was in Doma, and it was very much, like, I feel like we were really talking about, like, my family said to me at that age, like, oh, like, you know, I love you, Mm -hmm. I just, you know, but marriage is between a man and a woman, Mm -hmm. and we're very, like, callous to the real-world uh, effects that that would have on you from not being able to like marry your spouse. Like, I didn't know if I would be able to grow up into my thirties and like and buy a house with like a man I love or be married to like or have a family or yeah. or do any of those things. And having queer be on at that time like gave something that literally my grandmother and I could watch together. And maybe we didn't talk about like marriage equality, but it started to creep gay men into a mainstream lexicon that did change minds and it did move hearts. Mm. And so for any like, cause I feel like when, when our queer, eye came out and any, any criticism that I've ever heard of queer eye is usually around. Like, is it homonormative? Like, is it swooping five gay men to be like the fixers or is it um, like, does it push like stereotypes and you know, whether it is, or it isn't like, I, I get what they're saying, but it's so much more than that because that stance takes for granted how far, people have, or how much people haven't been exposed to other people Mm -hmm. in so many parts of this country, but really with Netflix, like all over the world. And, and I think that that is really important. And so, yeah, like if you're like in LA and you're like, um, people drive here, no shit. We know people drive, but for people in like, you know, rural, whatever, like they don't know that they drive, like maybe they're still on like a tractor. So like some people take for granted, like some of the, some of those things. And I just, it's so that is really so important. It was so important to me, and it continues to be so important. And that's kind of what I want to talk about now, which is, like, like we could go on for another 45 minutes about, like, what the first Queer I did in terms of accolades. Mm. Emmy's number one song. Like, it was, a, I mean, covers of yeah. magazines. <laughs> you couldn't go anywhere without talking about. I mean, it was literally a massive yeah. deal. So then… 2007 everyone goes and does their own things. You guys continue to do your own things. Kada mm-hmm. kada kada ka. Actually interesting substory. In 2015, Margaret Cho and I and her makeup artist, I we sold a uh or we didn't sell. We were trying to sell a uh, makeover show where we were like trying to show like beauty hacks that like celebrity glam teams would use for like just like for like, just, it was called like a, oh man, I don't know It was a cute name, but the point <laughs> is, is that I remember when we were in a, in a meeting once trying to sell it, and this guy was saying, like, yeah, but like makeover shows, like, no one's really doing them anymore. They're really expensive. Like, no one really wants it. Yeah. Like, it's not really like in, it's not in anymore. Like, it's, it needs to be more like hip hop wives or like, you right. know, Desperate <laughs> House or not, or like Housewives or whatever. Like, over it, the hills, right. yeah, it needs to be one of those. What was like the expectations for you of, of selling the show and, and having it? Cause it, I mean, Makeover shows like after, like, uh, extreme home makeover, queer yeah. eye, and there was re- like, there really was. I mean, not that
1: it was a format, and to your point, yeah, formats were out of vogue, they weren't you know, uh, there was, the follow doc became the in thing. Everyone wanted to kind of go is into a Kardashian
0: the, like the a Kardashian. follow doc,
1: yeah, the, the soap opera of it all, right? Mm-hmm. We come in and out of their worlds, the housewives franchise became, became the thing, um, whereas, uh, so. You're right. They were out of vogue. It wasn't cool anymore. But what we ended up doing is everyone had always asked us every time I went into a pitch, "Do you have a Queer Eye? Where's our Queer Eye? Bring us Queer Eye." Like when you go to do a different pitch. Yeah, when I go to different the, other buyers, right? And they, Did that oh, make you irritated as a creator? Oh, it did. Cuz I had become like I was like the, you know, the the one-trick pony. Everyone wanted Queer Eye. And I adore right Queer Eye is an amazing show and back to that the original Queer Eye. Those guys, those Fab Five, they they were superheroes back then. They swooped in and saved the day, and then they swooped back out because that was all America was ready for back then. America didn't want to know really who they were. America liked them as superheroes because that was okay. Oh, they flew in, they made the guy better, and then they flew out. That's what the difference is for us, which we'll come to when we get to you guys. I think that's the core difference of the show but um everyone had asked me for a for their queer eye so i get the rights back the rights are ready and bravo's like yeah you know go sell it so i went to all the other buyers and, and was like all right so i have queer this week. oh yeah um that's so like not bravo yeah and then we was like all right well yeah but it's not bravo anymore i have it we could do it um, long story short, our our agent said, you know what? I don't know. These streaming things are coming around. Who knows? Maybe Netflix uh, will, would like it. I don't think they're really doing unscripted yet, but let's go see. So we sat down. This is before anyone at, at Netflix was an unscripted department. They didn't have an unscripted department. There wasn't a reality yeah. department. Acquisition. We went in. Sat down and pitched uh, basically turning the red states pink. Uh, I love that line. One makeover at a time. Yeah, one makeover at a time. They liked it. They said, all right, let us us wrap our head around this. And uh, before we knew it, they came back and said, let's do this. We want to launch all of Unscripted with – queer eye we were looking for an evergreen show that was beloved that has a good heart to it and and we'd like to do it with queer eye and right as they said yes they then started the uh, the team over at Netflix who took us on and miss Jen levy came on and who we love Brandon yeah and and we dove into figuring out what queer eye 2.0 the reboot looked like and what was different from
0: it. And, yeah, you know, we had talked earlier. I was scared. I was really scared because you know because well, if be you think that you'd be able to sell it once you got the rights back and then you came that far and then it went to Netflix which is kind of like major so that's like some it, I mean to set up some press. that's some press. it's fresh and, and by the way we launched Bravo right the new Bravo was
1: launched you know 18 years prior You're like round two and like, now it's round two and what are we doing and it was scary I think because I didn't want to mess up the first one right like the legacy of the yeah. first one was really nice yeah. and you know my ego was coming out and I was like I want to leave a nice legacy for my children. Yeah. If I screw this up yeah. and, and it's all, and, you know, Jen Levy says to this day, and I, and I love her, she said, you know, this could have been a global eye roll, a worldwide eye roll at the second. I remember. Yeah. 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 She's like, because we didn't know. Yeah. And, and in particular with you guys, with the cast, right? Like to have Lightning Strike twice, like to be, you know, I, that's where I was the most scared. And Michael Williams and Rob Eric and I really hunkered down and said look this is the this is the the opportunity is within the casting we don't have to cast the same guys they're different this is these are there's a new generation of of gay men out there who have stories and lives and histories that they want to share and tell and and i think obviously with you that was a big part of how we started to bring you guys together. You each had such unique stories.
0: I feel like I remember very clearly on the second day of our auditions, like Uh when, because like there was like, I think there was 50 people on the first day. And I remember thinking like, I was talking to someone when we left, and I was like, Well, they flew all these people in from all over the place. They're not going to cut anyone on this first day. Cause, like, why would they waste all that money on like plane tickets and like hotels and stuff if they were just going to send people home? And then I remember that night they were like, Okay, it's half, like 25 <laughs> of you are coming back. And I, like, I already had heartburn before I got that phone call. But then after the phone calls, like, Oh my god! Like this is so serious, and then I and that's when I was like, oh, I feel like I'm on America's Next Top Model now, like, <laughs> like the, like the, but like the the thing in my head was like, oh my god, I I knew I wanted this opportunity because by that point I'd already had some interviews and I'd already done that like our little sizzle reel thing yeah. like for individually, but when I got that close and met everyone and like saw who I would be working with as far as you guys from Scout, yeah. and, and having your hands on like what queer I was in the first round and how much that meant to me and like just being in the flesh of around all those creative. All that creative energy in that Glendale ballroom was, you know, so major. But then coming back, I remember the first thing that I said that I feel like you, I almost made you fall off a chair because I referred to something as like a Fabergé egg. I can't remember what I was comparing to a Fabergé egg, but I did this like whole tirade about Fabergé eggs. And you like, I was like, oh, I was like that boy who created the show like thinks that is funny like I think this is like going well so which is leading me to a question I swear which was how like what did you think like when we all got there like on day one or day two were you like oh fuck like I don't think they're here or were you like okay they're definitely here but I'm not sure like I don't want to jump to any conclusions or were you like like when did you know that's like 18 questions in one but if you but could just I get
1: it I get it um I think with Again, I was scared. I was really scared. But when I looked out into that room that first morning, I remember you all sitting yeah. in that little room. There was like fifty people yeah. in this, and, and it was like I, the two groups I stood of, up there, yeah. and I cried, and uh-huh. I was like, "I can't believe this is happening." And I heard me. the
0: story of how it started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think,
1: I think I knew. There's a, I mean, honestly, Jonathan, you, <clears throat> your story, and 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 for me, and I and I'll share this. I, I've shared it with you before. I was most scared of you. And I was most scared. I, told me that and I have, and here's why: because I didn't. I was scared about a comparison to Carson, and I was com- scared about a comparison to um, my own internalized homophobia. Of of, I grew up in an era where, um, you know, straight acting is what allowed you to be an okay gay. You can be gay as long as you act straight. Yeah, and that's where I grew up. That's how I grew up. And you had this beautiful energy. And I mean this, and it makes me want to cry because you, you're you, and you're big and beautiful and un- unabashedly and unashamedly tell you and 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 you tell your story from childhood with your mom. It, that's the reason that it connected with me, is because I was like, you know what? Just because I grew up in an era where. I had to act a certain way and push down my feminine side and put away my – who I really wanted to be and could be when I let go. Um, I learned how to be Dave Collins straight acting guy straight acting gay as long as I was a straight gay from Ohio wow this voice I was okay wow right yeah um, but I mean, that was turned a, on but, but I, I was <laughs> confused and I, I, I get it but that was a fact of life for
0: for a certain era
1: you know I'm 52 years old that was I a way that that,
0: but I think that that toxic masculinity within the gay culture is very much alive and well I think it's getting better <laughs> yeah I think that it's getting better for sure but what about uh, Tanny Banani what did you think we saw him for the first has time? one of the greatest stories because we Skyped him
1: prior to the to the real thing and he was in Utah with his Mormon yeah. with his husband living the cowboy life because you guys had to convince him more we did have to convince him more because he had had some success in his his, his previous which life which this
0: whole story really pisses me off because I'm like Tan I know once you laid eyes on me you did not have to be convinced I know that you just saw him and you're like oh my god I want to work on the road to be best business but then I actually know that that's not true and you guys did have to kind of convince him which is so rude uh. it
1: is because so we did our interview and uh, you've heard the story baby but he finishes the Skype and I think the Skype off Well, the Skype audio is still on and I go fuck yes! No, he heard it. He heard it. And so he knew that he had us,
0: right? So he had the leg up at that point. See, I felt like I never had it, especially because there was this, this is like a little known queer audition fact that you guys know. There was this boy who, like, got like a gorgeous, like, he basically got like an assisted, like, throw triple sow cow into day two because he couldn't go to day one. Oh, yes. So I kind of, like, from when I found out, I was like, I was like, oh, like, there's already a boy who gets to come straight into the last round. Like, he's for sure going to be it. Like, he didn't even have to come to day one one like I don't even and I was like they're probably just letting me talk this much like wear myself out because they're like oh this poor queen like he's just so excited <laughs> uh, to be here but like actually we already already uh, but uh, but that's like what I could because I was yeah. like oh my god that boy's like totally got to have a lock on this but that's so interesting it is. that you guys were nervous too we were
1: very nervous and Anthony you know Ted had recommended Anthony uh, to us which was such a great obviously
0: I turned into the drool emoji face every time he talks and it especially in the auditions and it wasn't because of his like how beautiful he is yeah. like it's just when he talks Talks about food. You see his passion. Yes. He he makes me interested in food. Yeah, he's like interested in teaching people about food. It's amazing. It is amazing. Okay, so back to this question. Then we're like rounding third base. Yeah. Uh, Coming into home. So when you were saying that you would go into pitch and you felt like – they're like, oh, you got Queer Eye. Like, well, like, spoiler alert. Like, you did create Lightning twice. It did work out really, really (laughs) well. You are like a multiple-time Emmy-winning fucking producer and director and so cool. But do you feel like you have – Like, you, Queer Eye is not your only success. You have done other cool things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so, like, what are the cool things? Like, what do you feel like outside of Queer Eye was, like, the first time where you were, like— I am a multifaceted creator who's capable of doing, like, several cool things.
1: <laughs> well, I think some of the early early features, uh, you know, with with Brad Anderson, we did Session 9, which is a great, amazing – if you haven't seen Session 9, it's an amazing psychological thriller uh, uh, that, that we made early on. Errol Morris, obviously, we won a, an Oscar for The Fog of War. Oh, uh, uh- uh- I know. Uh, Michael Williams uh, up there on the stage with the Oscar. Uh, it was amazing. Uh, Such a cool, cool moment. And, um, yeah, and now, you know, what the success of Queer Eye has allowed is allowed us to now obviously have a lot of amazing projects, a lot of amazing shows. We're doing a really cool show right now, uh, a series actually, a docu series uh, with Greg Berlanti and Jim Parsons. Amazing, amazing, brilliant, talented. What's it called? Man. Uh, equal. And it is a four-part series leading up to the 50th anniversary of Stonewall. Uh, And it's all the unsung heroes that we don't know about. You know, we know about Harvey Milk and we know about a few others. But actually, we're going back 50 years from this where we see the people's shoulders that we really stood on and and learn about – the early gays, the gays that we don't know about, Jonathan, you and I, and 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 the ones that truly were breaking grounds for us
0: to be where we are today. I can't wait to see that. When does it come out? Do we know yet? We don't
1: know. It's all we're happening We're still, right still making, you're still making, you're still making, you can't, like, yeah. can't, can't do the
0: spoilers. I get it, we get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so here's the, coming into, uh, first of all, I already know I have to have you back because I didn't even get to like 70% of the that things I awesome. want to talk about. So we definitely have to, come cool. to have you come back. But for... The little JVNs, um, mm. both boys and girls, you're a dad for, like, the little baby David Collinses out there. Um, what would you – because this is, like, in yoga class. Like, this is what <laughs> we do at the end of Getting carries. It's like, if there's anything that um, we didn't hit that you wanted to hit, but, like, I really wanted to do headstands, but he was just all about Warrior Two today. <laughs> like, um, But I kind of want to put that question to you through the lens of, what would you say to not to do like that contrite question? I hate it, but I want to ask you this one. It's like, what would you say to your like younger self, to the younger selves of like the bullied kids or the kids that had yeah. to shove down their feminine side or shove down their masculine side? Cause they felt that it wasn't like acceptable for them to, to envelop their forms the way that they wanted to be. Correct. What would you say to them leaving this episode of getting curious? Oh my
1: goodness. Jonathan. There's so much, um, you know, I truly believe that confidence breeds success and I do, I do. Thank God in my in my world that I, I somehow hung on to some some confidence in myself. And, and there's tons of little JVNs and Davids across America. You know, I was the little Southern Baptist fire and brimstone gonna burn in hell, kid from Cincinnati, Ohio. And I know there's tons of those. Um, what what I would say to them is is you gotta you gotta you gotta stay strong, you gotta fight, you gotta, when you fall down, you gotta stand back up as fast as you can and look in that mirror. And truly all of the cliches, when you look in that mirror, know that you are loved and strong. And you're a child of God, and you can do anything you want, no matter what anyone says, no matter what anyone says. As a daddy, you know, I'm a daddy of twin 10-year-old girls, and, and both of them, night and day. One of my little girls, when she was four and a half years old, Ella, looked at me and she said, "'Daddy, I'm a girl, but I like boys' things.'" And and at first I'm like, oh, uh. my own internalized homophobia came out. But you know what? As she's grown up now, and I see her, and she is an amazing, brilliant, smart, but loving child who, you know what? Doesn't fit to the norms. She doesn't conform. She doesn't wear dresses and put her hair in pigtails. She's her I'm own, such an Ella Stan. She's her Love own Ella. self, and I'm and and, and I'm learning how to be a good daddy, a good gay daddy. When I look at her and realize, you know
0: what? You don't have to be anything other than you. And I love that. Isn't that interesting how like you're the perfect parent for your kids?
1: It is, it is, yeah. And, and by the way, genetics are as scary as they get. Michael and I had Ellen Olive through IVF and gestational surrogacy. And so we have, you know, an insane genetic pool of, like, little mini me and little mini him that's just crazy. Uh, it's crazy, but now, amazing. You
0: need to follow David on Instagram because then you'll get to see them. They're so cute, and they're just absolutely the cutest little baby girls. I've had the pleasure to get to meet them. And um, we really have to come back to talk more about that and talk about more about – I, actually, it'd be really cute to have you and Michael talk about your experiences of being gorgeous uh, gay fathers, co-parents. I think it's like the cutest love story it. of all time. I love it so much. But not as much as I love you. Actually, I do love it as much as I love you. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for giving us your time. Thank you. And also, I'm going to not cry and be emotional now. But thank you so much. Um, oh my God, I can't do it. Um, you've changed my life so much. And the opportunity that you've given me and um, the other boys on the show. But I mean, a year ago now, I'm, I'll be 32 tomorrow. Mm. I had like, I had like, I was so in debt and like I, my whole life is so different and I have you to thank and thank you for not to pull a Jade America's Next Top Model season six quote, but thank you for believing in me and thank you for allowing me to have this chance. And I think that you said something today that is really, really important that we all really have to look at ourselves and make sure that we're honest with ourselves in the mirror when we have this conversation, but your willingness to admit that you like that seeing people like me or, or like can bring up rumblings of your own internalized homophobia. We all have to look at that. And the fact that you've talked to me about that long before this means a lot to me. And I think that we have to be aware, like when we're in a vicious cycle so that you can like know what your part in it was exactly, to make it better so that we don't keep putting other people through this. And you have like, taken a huge roadblock and removed it from my life because there was a lot of people that i have auditioned for and wanted to work with that that feeling that i arose in them like was in deal and like you would have never known me right and because you like allowed yourself to process that and like allowed me to have space like you've given me a voice and a platform that i never would have had without your um approval and your acceptance for that so thank you so much thank you jonathan and i love you so much I and we have to come too. back to more talk about the kids and i love you so much and thanks for coming i love you ah. thanks Thank you so much for listening to Getting Curious. This is me, Jonathan Van Ness. Thank you so much, David Collins, for being our guest this week. Uh, You can follow David on the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at JVN. Uh, Quinn, thank you so much for letting us use your music, honey. That song is called Freak, and we love it. Um, And if you're looking for Getting Curious, honey, write us a gorgeous review. Maybe, like, get all up on that Facebook or get all up on that Instagram and, like, Tell your friends about it. But also, honestly, if you're still listening to Getting Curious at this point in the episode, like, thank you so much for just being, like, that down-ass friend. Like, and you know what? You don't even need to put on Instagram or Twitter. Because if you're still listening, like, how dare I ask you to do anything else? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, thank you so much. And I need to stop asking so much. You know? Like, love you guys. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on Getting Curious.